Hello and welcome to another podcast with me, Duncan Walger. Um, this is how we how I teach golf, and today I'm going back across the pond. I'm speaking to a Great Britain and Ireland master professional, long-time friend since 2002 was the first time I met him at the Teaching and Coaching Summit out in America, Mr. Martin Hall. Martin, how are you, sir? I'm good, Duncan. How are you? Very well, very well. Very excited to uh, to have you on the podcast. Thank you ever so much for taking out some time of your incredibly busy schedule to to do this. And uh, I'm just going to crack straight on. Crack on, baby. Crack on. Uh, tell me about how you grew up, how uh, you got into golf and how you ended up where you are today. Well, first of all, I think my wife would argue to grow up so let's get that out there to start with <laughs> <laughs> but my my first uh i started playing golf at newcastle golf club newcastle under lime in north staffordshire my father was a member and uh, like a lot of people I, I got into it almost by accident i was determined i was going to be the best soccer player england had ever produced and we moved out into the country so there's no one to play soccer with football with <laughs> So, so I ended up playing golf. Um, I wouldn't say I was uh, immensely gifted, but I enjoyed it very much. Had some lessons from the local assistant pro and got into it. And I suppose I'd be about 11, 12, maybe when I started. I was down to three handicap by the time I was 15. Mm-hmm. Down to scratch at 17, turned pro and went to Wentworth when I was 18 as assistant pro. And of course, I know that you know very well. Yes. Uh, you were assistant to? Tom Halliburton and then Bernard. Fantastic. Fantastic. And it was a great, uh, I have great, every time I see Wentworth on the TV, I have great affection for it indeed. It was, I wasn't there a long time, but it holds a big place in my heart and in my mind, that's for sure. Yeah, I always remember every day that I used to drive up to Wentworth for the six and a half years I was there, driving up either through the east entrance or through the west entrance, yeah. just in that clubhouse, as soon as you see that clubhouse. And I always said, when I, at my leaving do, I said, um, if you ever get bored of that view, leave. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, awesome. it's a great place. It's a great golf course. I mean, some people think perhaps the design changes. Some of them were necessary. Some of them were not. I mean, yeah. I still think, as I look at it on TV, it's still a wonderful test. It's a good... It's a good sporty test with, especially the two par fives at uh, 17 and 18. A lot can happen in the last two holes. So I love it. Anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, golf courses. We're here to talk about what makes golf balls go where they go. That's... So, um, do, you, do, you want re- do you want the rest of my story then today? Yeah, I mean, you're not in Newcastle under Lyme anymore, so... Uh, no, 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 I am not. So I went to Wentworth and then I... Uh, Tried to play a little bit for two and a half, nearly three years on the European tour with a staggering lack of success. Okay. I was that was back in the day where they had pre-qualifying before I had every before every event, and I really was. I mean, anybody who played in that time would perhaps remember. I was really, really, really good at pre-qualifying. There, okay. there, could, there could be two hundred people playing for eight spots, and I would manage to get one of those. And I was really, really, really bad at making it to the weekend. Oh. Um, and so. I think actually the longer I played, the worse I got actually on tour. I was, um, and I never, I never had any real big moments. I mean, I had a few good rounds, a few under par rounds, but, um, and that, that was my, that was almost my inspiration to try and find out 
what I needed to know to play better golf. And that yeah. in turn has led to me sharing that with a lot of people. And I, cer- I certainly think in life, I, I don't know where there's a destiny. I don't know where there's a divine power looking from above. That's, that's for others to decide, not me. But you so, sometimes things that seem really hard to swallow end up being a really good thing to happen to you. Uh, mm-hmm. I missed, I missed um, a four-foot putt on the last hole at Fox Hills yep. to keep my card. A nasty, smelly left-to-right four-footer, and I hit it weak and missed it on the low side. And that led to me not keeping my card. And because of that, I became the assistant professional at Trentham, started teaching, and that set me off in a new career, and I enjoyed it. I liked it. It was um, didn't quite know what I was doing. I just waited for Golf Digest every month to arrive, and whatever the cover story was on Golf Digest that month, that's what I was teaching for the next month. That, that was the start of my teaching. Uh, and how long were you at Trentham? Uh, seven and a half years. Okay. Enjoyed no, it. No, you Still, go back. You, you still go back there every summer, don't you? Oh, yeah, I go back a lot. I was back there just the other week, actually. Still go back a lot. Um, enjoy it. Still go back to Newcastle. Still go back to Trentham. Still, I, I've lived more than half my life in America now, but I still, I'm still a boy from North Staffordshire, and that will never change. Fantastic. And then, so why, why America? Well, so, so when I was on this, uh, when I was starting to teach in England, and I. I, I knew that I didn't know enough to help people. I had a high dose of enthusiasm and a low dose of skill. So some people would get better just because you encourage them. But, you know, some of the more difficult cases, I didn't know what to do. So I was, um, I, I, I stayed in one night and happened to be flicking through Golf Digest. And again, these, these things happen in your life and you wonder if they were placed there or not. But I opened Golf Digest random page and i opened it on classified ads i never read classified ads and Mm. in the smallest print on the bottom of one page was golf school turnbury scotland bob tosky jim flick peter costis davis love chuck cook wow wow (laughs) Um, so i wrote a letter to america to norwalk connecticut Never expected to get a reply. My, my request was, could I come and watch a little bit? Because I had no money. Mm. Um, and I got a return in, in 10 days. And they said, we'd be delighted to have you. So I beetled up to Turnbury in my broken down old mini and uh, watched them for five days at Turnbury and created the most amazing relationship with those, those great teachers, Bob Tosky, Jim Flick, Peter Costas, Chuck Cook. And because of that, three and a half years later, I ended up in America. So, just a, a, a it's amazing how I don't, who, who's your audience on this podcast, Dunk? Is it golfers or is it teachers or a bit of both? We get we get a bit of both. I must admit, at the start, it was the whole plan was so that it would go out to as many golfers as possible to help them find out if they weren't taking golf lessons that there was a really good local professional to them that they may never have heard of before, but is doing some really really good stuff. Uh, and they kind of get an insight into what would happen in a golf lesson. However, a lot of the a lot of the uh, listeners has been our fellow PJ professionals over here in the UK and a bit in the US now. Um, so it's kind of morphing in in lots of different ways. It's just it's it's been a lot of fun. So <laughs> you can take this whatever way you want to go, Martin. Well, it is what I would say to, to, to if there's any young professionals listening who are aspiring to do nicely in their career, it, it is what I would say 
take action, keep taking action, write letters, make phone calls, make connections, um, be strategic about advancing your career because success doesn't happen by accident. You know, you, you know some very successful teachers. I think I've had a degree of success. Jim Hardy's been immensely mm. successful. successful. Uh, none of it happens by accident. So, you know, taking the time to, well, maybe these days it's obviously it's an email or a, a tweet, but keep in touch with people who can advance your career or advance your base of knowledge. Yeah. That, that, that's how you climb the ladder. And we've all we've been very lucky, I think, and very blessed to be able to speak with these people, go and watch these people. Like you said, you know, you've obviously influenced me and helped me out a lot. Jim, uh, Chris O'Connell, you know, the the late, unbelievably never been beaten, never equaled uh, John Jacobs. Just the the those guys that are willing to share ideas and let them uh, let us observe them and learn from them. Like I said, like you have with me, like Jim obviously has uh, for myself and like myself and Ian do here at World of Golf. You know, golf pros come up, the youngsters and asking us questions. And a lot of the times we're telling stories about when we meet, we met people like yourself and, you know, like you did yourself, Chuck Cook, Bob Toskey, all the all the greats that were so, so, so good at sharing their ideas and their and their stories and their lessons that they've learned and their more than happy to pass on so that's great yeah well at, at, at some point today i'm going to give you some of my john jacobs pearls which are priceless <laughs> well I, hopefully i haven't heard them <laughs> you, you probably haven't heard one or two of them i can tell you that good stuff anyway so um from there um i came to boca raton uh, i was recruited by jim flick and jack nicholas to work for the jack nicholas golf schools all over the world did that um, for seven years then my wife Lisa was playing very well around the world she became a top player in the world two mm-hmm. Solheim Cups nine wins around the world so I traveled a lot with her so I traveled all over the world uh, trying to coach your wife is not the easiest of tasks so that's some you know some good learning lessons there um, and then settled down to just sort of teach at Ibis uh, three Nicholas courses Jack put me in there great place to be and then really, quite unexpectedly, um, eight years ago, I uh, got recruited by the Golf Channel. And I've done about nearly 300 shows now on the, on the Golf Channel with, uh, you know, shooting with Gary Player, Tom Watson, Raymond Floyd, Jack Nicholas, Langer, Faldo, on and on and on. And I've really enjoyed that. And I'm certainly going to be doing that for the next two or three years. So that's been a really interesting skill set to learn how to do real television. Very, very different than standing on the back of the range using a phone to um, film a tip and put online. It's a completely different animal. So it's, 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 it's not easy. Uh, so that brings me about up to date. So that's where I am. Next. So tell me a bit about the facility at Ibis. I know you've been there, what, is it 25 years now? 20, 20 years. 20 we just years. had, a, yeah, 20 years. It's been, it's been great. Well, it's huge. It's like, um, it's like a town, really. We've got 2,500 homes in there. So that would probably be easily 6,000 people. Yeah. Uh, we have three golf courses, three Nicholas golf courses, which are great. Massive clubhouse. Uh, 100,000 square feet, and they're thinking of enlarging it. Wonderful mm-hmm. fitness center with a pool and tennis. And uh, you, you could, we've got four restaurants in the clubhouse. You, you could pretty much actually go to Ibis and not leave. You could just stay there. 
<laughs> you, you don't need to leave the compound, as I call it. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Ma- massive practice ground, huge practice ground, uh, you know, hit from both ends, good fitting center and, you know, good facilities. It's a great place to teach. It's been, it's my workshop, it's my laboratory. And although the Golf Channel has been great for me, I still enjoy going out to Ibis four days a week and putting in a good day's effort teaching. That's teaching and testing and learning. And we're all still learning. Uh, yeah. never, never ends. I mean, no one ever gets it. That that's This is my first John Jacobs story. Well, the, the very first time I met John Jacobs was at Meon Valley, Southampton. And someone introduced me to him and said, you must have breakfast with him. So I went and had breakfast with him. And he's sitting reading the telegraph and glasses over there. And I sat there silently. And eventually he lowered the paper. He said, morning, young man. He said, I hear you're not a bad player. I said, well, I'm, I'm not, not, not too bad, Mr. Mr. Jacobs. Um, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm working at it. I'll get it one of these days. And he said, hmm, if you get it, you'll be the first one that ever did. And then he went back to reading the paper. <laughs> uh. And he's right, he's right, because he's right. the point is, no one ever gets it, do they? It's a game, no. it's a game of mistakes. No, no one ever gets it. We don't, no one owns it. You have it no. for little parts of time, maybe, where you can control your ball, but no one owns it. And was it Gary Player, or was it John, or was it someone else, Martin? You'll be able to tell us that uh, we never own it, we just borrow it. Oh, I'm not sure who that was, but whoever said it, I've heard it, and I totally agree with it. We're always making payments on it, we'll never own it. That's true. Yeah, that's true. What types of lessons do you give out at Ibis, Martin? What? Uh, mainly these days, I, I don't do many classes. I don't. I don't mind doing classes. I do them sometimes if people request them. But mainly, I do do some golf schools for Revolution Golf. We'll come to Revolution mm-hmm. Golf. Um, but mainly, um, relatively regular lessons. I, I would say I coach people as opposed to give the odd one-off lesson, and mm-hmm. I. I like that very much. It, it's um, it's a good area to be in because there's you know lots of young golfers who want to play and they seek my advice and I'm grateful for that. And we have a great practice ground. And in addition to that, I mean you know life has been good to me. I'm a member at the Medalist and a member at Lake Nona, so I can go and take them out there and play there. And a lot of times we'll get to see Stenson practicing at Nona, or we'll see Tiger or Ricky practicing at the Medalist and have a little chat with them. And Tiger, Tiger's actually starting to be quite civil these days. It's a wonderful thing. He's very nice to everybody. Don't know if he's helping, <laughs> helping his game, but he's much nicer than he used to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, so I, so I have good courses to take people away to, away from Ibis and play on. The courses are great at Ibis, but I like to get away when I've got someone to go and play with. Um, and then... Um, you know, great practice ground. So all sorts of players. I mean, some tour pros, a lot of really good junior college players and business people and, you know, wives of members. Uh, I, I certainly don't, I, I, I don't say, well, I, I only teach people from five handicap and under. The only prerequisite for having a lesson with me is that you want to learn and you have a reasonable attitude. That's the only prerequisite. If, it's, I mean, one of my favorite lessons used to be with a lady who didn't start till she was 85, dear old Isabella. She was wow. wonderful. She isn't with us anymore, but used to love teaching Isabella 11 o'clock on Tuesdays for weeks and weeks and weeks. Years we did it. That's brilliant. 
She started when she was 85. Started when she was 85, yes. Yes, she's that great. Brilliant. Yeah, she's oh, wonderful. That's fantastic. Now, Martin, I know that when you turn up, let's say your, your first lesson at IBIS is at 9 a.m. No, it's never at 9 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's lunchtime. That's lunchtime. So what time do you turn up before your first lesson? Now, this is something I encourage all the all the times that I get opportunities to speak to other professionals is turning up. I don't class it as turning up early. You're turning up to set your facility up before your yeah, first set. I'm, 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 I am very big on that. There's a famous American footballer called Vince Lombardi. Any of the people listening stateside obviously know who he is, but he would, for those listening in England, he would be on a par with Alex Ferguson or someone like that. I mean, a great coach for the, um, um, for the Packers. And uh, he said, <clears throat> this influenced me very early when I got to America, he said, if you have an eight o'clock meeting and you arrive at 7.50, you are late because you haven't got enough time to get things ready. So that was a huge influence on me. My first lesson is usually eight o'clock in the morning, sometimes seven o'clock, but usually mm-hmm. usually eight o'clock in the morning. And I am always at IBIS between 5.30 and 5.45 in the morning. That's when I pull into the car park. And I have things to do. I see my right-hand man and give him his, uh, you know, worksheet for the day. And we make sure we set up the practice area, training area, call it what you want, so that it looks, I, I want my practice area, it's a big practice area. I want it to be inviting. I want it to look professional. I want it to look pristine at the start of the day. I want everything aiming <clears throat> at a particular target. Um, I... I my sister used to go horse riding, so I was dragged along to watch her when she would horse ride. And it always struck me when you see them getting trained, uh, all the fences are set out properly. There's a particular area and, and they're not just sort of rambling around a field on a horse. Well, I want my golf practice ground to be exactly the same as that, that uh, when people pull up, I want them to know who. He is serious. This this is a training ground. This is a workshop. This is a laboratory. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm not in a field with a tee and a golf ball. Far from it. No. no so I, I, need, mean... I need all that set up. The other thing I also like to do is I like to have half an hour before I start where all my work is done. I don't want to be rushed into any lesson. I hate that. You know, I'll have a cup of coffee and, you know, collect my thoughts for the day. And... Um, I suppose, really, like a lot of players do before they tee off in a big event, you need a little bit of quiet time before you go to the first tee. I like a little bit of quiet time before I give my first lesson. It's every yeah. every lesson you give, it's a performance. Mm-hmm. I, I I only give one hour lessons now. I don't do half hour lessons anymore. But every lesson I give is a one hour sixty minute performance, and I want to bring my I want to bring my best to every lesson and something I learned from a chap called Brendan Bouchard who I think is wonderful is he would say at the start of every day ask yourself who needs my A game today anybody who's paying you for lessons they want your A game they need your A game they deserve your A game mm. and you're not much of a professional if you don't give them everything you've got so that's right. that that's the start of my day and you know there's look there's I think for the teachers there's what you teach. It's very important. There's also how you teach. 
probably more important, you know, your involvement with the students, your commitment to the students. Uh, it's been said for years, people don't care how much you know, but they know how much you care. You need Absolutely. to be invested in every student you have. And not just the ones who are winning trophies around the, the county or the country or the world, but anybody who's with you at that moment in time, they should be the most important person to you in the world at that moment in time. Yes. Couldn't and that, agree. I couldn't that, agree anymore. I think, I, I, think it, I think it's huge. And um, I think I think when I see certain golf professionals, I watch other people teach from distance and I see them answering text or answering the phones or being on the phone during the last, like that's not okay for me. Yeah. Do you, do you find that you change who you are as in the way that you perform to different people as well? Do you find that you're a bit of a, in a bit of an actor playing different roles? Very, very much so Duncan. Very good point. Very much. You've got to be a chameleon. I think you've got to be a mirror to who they are i mean if i'm if i'm teaching someone who came from new york made it on the streets has made a uh, uh made a fortune i mean what would it be in in england it would be someone who came up probably with the school of hard knocks in the east end of london yep. a, bit, a bit of rough and tumble but great person but they've done really well then i think you've, you've you've got to be someone who sort of came from that place on the other hand if you're teaching someone who came from eton or harvard You've got mm -hmm. to be a different person. I think you have to be a chameleon. You have to mirror what they're somewhat mirror how they how they behave. How because that sort of tells you how they would expect to receive their information, how they'd want to receive the information. See, some people, <clears throat> if it was if it was the tough guy from the East End of London or the Bronx, New York, who's done very well, and he hits a bad shot, he doesn't want to hear. Oh, nearly. Keep trying. We'll get there. Let me pat you on the back. He wants to hear, that was rubbish. Now, get, <laughs> get your act together. Stop messing around and do it properly. Yep. Some people need that, but not everybody. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but you have to know, and I, I think that's what comes with experience. You have to know when to press the buttons. Yeah. Um, uh, Brendan Bouchard, who's a book I've just finished reading called High Performance Habits. It's a wonderful book. And he said, if you're going to influence people, if you think of the people who have influenced you, mm -hmm. people who have influenced you have done three things. One, they've taught you how to think. So you educate them. You give them good information. Two, you challenge them. You don't make it easy. If you think of your best teachers at school, Duncan, they didn't make it easy. They gave you good education, good information. They challenged you. That's number two. And number three, they're a role model. So if you think of Jim Hardy or John Jacobs or Chris O'Connell, three of your best role models, and perhaps me, I'd want to educate you. I'd want to challenge you. I'd want to push you. I'd want yep. to shove you. I'd want to say, no, you can do better than this. And then I would try and be a role model, as Jim has been for us. And, and you look at them and say, you know what? He does every bit of what he's asking me to do and a bit more. I'm going to do that. So I think yeah. that's a great way to influence people. That, that's what we're doing as teachers. We're influencing people. So let's say um, I've been fortunate enough to get a lesson with you. Uh, we've never met before. Uh, what would happen in, the, in that lesson? Or is there a bit of dialogue before the lesson? What, what kind of um, But What I do when people, first of all, I have a, I have a list and I have a bit. <coughs> perhaps not unlike a doctor, 
I have a bit of a, 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 a I have a list and I have a bit of background information. Uh, if I don't know the student first, my right hand man has done a bit of an interview with them. I've got some information. I've looked at it before they come. So no one ever comes to me as a stranger, even if I've never met them before. They're not a stranger. Yeah. I, I know where they play. I know how often they play. So they filled all that stuff out like you would a doctor's office. Yeah. <clears throat> and then when they come, what I say to them, good morning, I'm Martin Hall. Um, I definitely always put my hand out for, take my hat off, put my hand out first, <coughs> introduce myself. Yeah. And I understand you're John Smith, my nine o'clock lesson. Nice to meet you. Glad you're here. So give them a warm welcome. I think that's very important. Um, behave like a dog wagging his tail. Be pleased to see them. <laughs> and, and then I ask them, why are you here? How can I help you? And then I shut up. Yeah. And I found that's the best over the years and years and years of teaching. I found that's the best thing to do. Why are you here? How can I help you? And shut up. Now, some of them can say that in two sentences, and some of them will dance around the bonfire for five minutes before you actually hear why they're why why they're there. Yeah. But I want to know, like the doctor, I want to know where does it hurt? Okay. Yeah. That's a starting point. Now, now for you and I, with our John Jacobs background, that's going to be, at some point, it's going to be either the contact of the ball isn't very good or the direction of the ball isn't very good. Mm -hmm. At some point, it's going to slice its way down to that. So I'm, I'm just waiting to get to that point and say, okay, good, right. And then I will paraphrase what they've told me. Yep. So, so I'll say, okay, so what we're saying is, John, what we're saying is you, if you could get out of here in an hour or two hours time and you knew what made you slice the ball and you had a few good drills that you could practice, some at home, some on the range and a couple of good thoughts um, on the golf course to control that slice and we changed your ball flight for a majority of your shots, would you be happy with that? And the answer is always yes, because, of course, yeah. it's always yes to that. Um, I say, right, well, that's our goal between now and when we finish. I'm going, to, I'm going to explain so you understand what it is. I'll probably show you on video or launch monitor what's causing it. And then I'm going to give you some medicine to take. Now, you need to take the medicine, so let's get cracking. And I, I think to be a really good teacher, to be a successful teacher, you have to have a high level of enthusiasm because uh, it doesn't always go well. Even no. if the information's good, it doesn't always go well. No. Um, so that that's what I would do. And I think <clears throat> I I think I am very fortuitous to have spent so much time with um, you know, that, that cast of characters I mentioned before, John mm -hmm. Jacobs, Bob Tosky, Jim Flick, uh, Costas, Cook. Um, they could all change the ball flight fairly quickly. They learned yeah. through a golf school system. We don't see so many golf schools now, but they could change the ball flight pretty quickly. And I think that is, just as you do, I think that's essential that you can either change the ball flight fairly quickly or change the contact fairly quickly. Yes. Um, and I think there's, to me, this whole idea of, well, now, John, this is a two-year project. We need to work, first of all, for six weeks on your grip and your setup. And you take no notice where the ball goes. I, I hate it. I think, first of all, you've lost him as a customer. Yeah. 
And, so, you know, you're not helping him play better golf. Um, I remember one of the things Jim Hardy said to me is, no, ma no matter where you are with your golf swing, if you've played any amount of golf, you're only one good swing thought away from hitting a bunch of better shots. Now, it doesn't mean finding that one good swing thought is easy, but I would agree with that one good swing thought away from balancing out what you and I would call the pluses or the minuses or, you know, balancing out the path-face relationship, making it more functional. You're one good swing thought away from playing better golf. And most people think they're miles away because we're not talking about perfect golf because there is no perfect golf. No, we've already covered that. We? <coughs> uh, can so you that be... make a bigger down payment? Yeah, <laughs> that would be that would be how I start a lesson. And I, I mean, I think I'm always measuring how's it going. I'm yeah. always measuring how hard can I push them or not. Um, do they need stroking? Do they need a kick in the derriere? Mm -hmm. um, but I want it to be a good experience. I, I love teaching, but above anything, I want it to be a great experience for the student. I yes. don't. I know you were, you know, I, li I live in Florida. I know not long ago. Did you go to Orlando for Christmas, for your holidays, or just before Christmas? Yeah. 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 Did you go to Disney or Universal Studios? Disney. Yeah, I'm sure. Did they do a great job? Oh, uh, uh, about 12 out of 10. Yeah, phenomenal. Phenomenal. <laughs> so when you watch companies like Disney and you realize that whoever's doing the little five-minute talk on whatever it is they're talking about, the little ride you're on there, yeah. Every I, I got this pretty early in America. They probably give that talk 200 times a day. Yeah. And each time you hear it, it's as if it was the first time. It's fantastic. And that's what I try and do with my lessons. Even, even, even the, you know, the last lesson of the day. I want people to think this is my first lesson of the day. So it takes a lot of energy. But I think it's your response. I feel it's my responsibility. I think it's your responsibility. Yeah. I want to, uh, I like to under-promise and over-deliver. So yes. it's interesting. We're 30 minutes into talking about teaching golf, and I haven't even talked about how to move a club yet. No. I, I was wondering about what we we're going to talk about, so I'm glad it's gone this way, because <laughs> I think for anybody who teaches for a living, not, not for the people who want a lesson, but you, you need to find, if you want a lesson, you need to find somebody who clearly is highly invested in whether you improve or not, not casually there, but highly invested that it means a lot to them. And I think the, the, the customer service, the, the obvious interest in the student, um, the, the real, real caring the handling, the ups and downs of it going well or not so well. That's yeah. a vital part of finding the right teacher. And how did you, how would, if you were the other side of the, of, of the golf club, let's say, so now you're the student, what would, what questions would you have for a coach? If I can have it the other way around. Um, I don't know that I would have any questions for the coach. I think I would, if someone said to me, I'm just going to twist this a little bit, Duncan. If someone said to me, who, um, who should I take lessons from? I wouldn't necessarily go online and have a look because that's just search engine optimization. You can manipulate that. I think I would ask around locally and see who is the busiest teacher. Mm -hmm. 
who has the best reputation, who's producing the best players. He's probably the busiest teacher and won't be so easy to get to see. If, if, if you call David the teacher up and say, David, can I have a lesson at three o'clock this afternoon? And he says, yes, you probably yeah. don't want to go and see him. If he says, well, you know, I'd love to have a look at you, but uh, it's going to be two and a half weeks. Yeah, he might, he might be worth looking at because the best teachers are the busiest teachers. And this this world we live in where anybody can put anything on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook, anybody has an opinion. Um, it is. It's very difficult to choose. So I, I would go by local hearsay, local talk. That's what I would tell people to do. OK, great. And what my one is that I get asked a, a few times is when they come into lesson is I ask exactly what you do. I say, why are you here and how can I help? And usually the first blurb or blurt out was, I don't want you to change my goal string. I don't want a complete rebuild. And I'm like, OK, that's that's good. I got that. And then we get into the dialogue of, you know, what? What clubs are you having most success with? Which ones are you are you not? And which ball flight do we need to fix? And you know, we I know that you and I come from similar um, influences uh, on fixing fixing impact and ball flight and trying to make it more repetitive and and everything else. So that's it's that's that's interesting the way that you try and find an instructor. I like that, and hopefully the. Uh, people out there that are non-golf instructors can then tag tag onto that one, Martin. So you'd mentioned what happens in a lesson with you. Um, can I just back up? Can I just back up then? So I think you have to be, you have to be cheerleader. You have to be manager as a teacher. You, you have to do all those things and you have to be able to persuade people to a realistic point of view. So when people say, look, I, I don't, I, I want you to help me, but but I, I don't want you to change anything. Mm. It's like, well, I will often say, you know, I want Fred. Everyone wants, everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we're talking about here. You can't get better without change. I'm very upfront on that. Yeah. Now I will say, I'm not going to try and change ten things, but you can't get better without change. I mean, that's at the end at the end of every television show I've done on the Golf Channel. I know you don't get the Golf Channel in the UK at the moment, although uh, they are Comcast are trying to buy ski to Sky TV, so maybe you will. We'll see. Um, but at the end of every television show I do, I say, if you keep on doing what you've been doing, you will keep on getting what you've been getting. Mm -hmm. Make the effort, make the change. It's worth it. Um, you can't get better without change. It won't. Un I just, I just get that right out of the open straight away. I think a lot of them are worried that you're just going to completely restart them going back to your, you know, the two years, two year program. We're going to start with the grip again, regardless of where the ball's going. I think I think they're scared of that. Yeah, they, they are. But I think you have to learn to say, look, it'll be OK. Yeah, I'll take care of you. It'll be OK. Trust me. We're going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. So, again, going back to the sort of start of the lesson, you mentioned you may you may show them more video on video or you, you may show them uh, via a launch monitor. What technology and training aids? Uh, I know you have them all or virtually all. There might be one or two that you're missing, um, but it might only be one or two. Um, it's, it's one. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's two. It's two. It's two. And that's 
And that one's on its way. <clears throat> no, no. Mrs. Mrs. Hall has put a ban on the last two. Oh, okay. But I don't need them. But um, the guy I have, I I have all of them because golf has mm. been good to me. I have all of them, and uh, I think the technology is interesting. I don't thoroughly trust every number in technology, whether it's launch monitors, force plates, 3D technology. I think they're very helpful. I, my line always has been, whether it's a launch monitor or, or um, a sensor you put on your body, I would say they're good, but they're not God. Yeah. They're not good, but not God. Mm. So we, d we don't know that the numbers are right. When, when a launch monitor spits out... That ball left at 14 degrees and had 3,200 spin. How do we know that's true? Mm. I actually, uh, this would be something that I wanted to, to talk about. Um, accurate thinking, cynical thinking almost. Um, and, and I just got a, a the, 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 if people wanted to Google Napoleon Hill, accurate thinking, yes. uh, they would find some really good stuff there. And just a quote here, you cannot accept an opinion of offered to you unless it is based on facts or sound hypotheses about the facts. You should not offer any opinions except on the same grounds. Everyone except accurate thinkers has an abundance of opinions, and these are usually worthless. Opinions are easy. Hard facts, not so easy. So I... I I don't disregard what the technology says, but I don't thoroughly, I don't thoroughly, absolutely trust it. I think there's an error tolerance in every piece of technology I've ever seen. Yep. So I, I think launch monitors are good with the start direction of the ball. Give it plus or minus one degree. I think mm -hmm. they're good with the club face plus or minus degree and a half. The path plus or minus degree and a half. Now the manufacturers would tell you otherwise, but, my testing has said, nope, I think my numbers are pretty solid. Yeah. So I do use the technology. Anyway, so for, for me, for um, a lesson, I, I would want to know, okay, where does it hurt? Right. Let's start off. Let's hit a few shots with a few different clubs. Maybe a few, have a look at a few pitches, a few six signs, a few drivers. And I'll see what I think the ball's doing. And um, I'm looking for a pattern. I think teaching is pattern recognition knowing what you're looking for and certainly directionally there aren't there aren't 10 patterns when people say i'm hitting it everywhere it's like you actually you're not you you you're either swinging too much from the inside and leaving the face open or closing it excessively or you're mm -hmm. swinging too much from the outside and you're leaving the face open or closing it excessively i mean the, really every errant shot that you ever hit is going to derive from one of those two patterns. So I think you just have to determine which pattern, you, which pattern you're dealing with. And then I will put it on video. And I usually put it on video so they have a video. I send them the video with the commentary. And I do send video. Look, I'm not, I'm not looking to show you that you don't look like Rory McIlroy or Tommy Fleetwood. We, we know that. Mm. Um, I'm putting you on video to show you the smoking gun. This this is where the club, it's where your club gets to. This is where their club gets to. If you moved in that direction, your your bad shots would be less bad. Your good shots would be better. So, I have I have hundreds and hundreds of models in my computer, 
that I will use to make any given point I want to. I don't, I don't have a swing model. I just have players who've been really good that mm. I can pull up <clears throat> to show a particular move that I think someone should perhaps try to do that would help them play better. And then we'll, we'll look about that, ask some questions. I have a whiteboard, which I use a lot in my, yes. uh, in my teaching studio. I like to draw on the whiteboard a lot. Um, and then we go back outside and hit some golf balls and more often than not, they hit the ball better. And then I always leave every lesson I do, Duncan, I always leave five minutes at the end of every lesson to close the lesson down. I want to know what they heard. So I'm very mindful of the time of lessons. And as I get near the end of the lesson, I ask everybody from tour pro to beginner to anybody in between, I ask every lesson, okay, let's see if what you learned is what I think I taught you. Mm-hmm. And the answer is when you say, what did you learn in the lesson today? Sometimes the answers are quite staggering at what they think they heard. Yes. So I just want to set the record straight before they leave. <laughs> it's like, no, we didn't talk about that at all. Yeah. And that happens a lot. So you just sort of, you know, throw a cold bucket of water in the face, so to speak, and bring them back to earth. Um <clears throat> And, and try and focus the thoughts. And a lot of times I will make them write something down. And early on, people used to say, would you write it down for me? And yeah. then I saw Chuck Cook one time. He said, no, you write it down. And my initial thought was, like, oh, wow, that was a bit sharp. Yeah. And, and then I thought, actually, it isn't. They need to write it down so that they remember it and they put it in their own words. And it might have some meaning to them. Yes. And I encourage people to keep a journal of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be it. And then I, you know, hopefully I'll see them in a couple of weeks, something like that. So with, that, uh, that's my process of teaching. With the start, with regards to the start of the lesson, you said you'd get them to hit a few pitches first, then a few seven irons, six seven, and then up to the driver. Yeah, yeah. You, I want. You want, you want I to like, see the whole spectrum. Um, yeah, and then I'll probably hit thereafter i mean depending what they're doing but thereafter i'll have them hit a lot of six irons i mean john jacobs always told me that was a great club to practice with my understanding is that hogan hit more six irons than any other club um because i think it's right in the middle of the range between the wedge and the driver and it it, it's a good club i i you know i like to have people take really very precise targets i'm i'm a fan of blocked practice initially Mm-hmm. I, I don't fully agree with all this stuff about get through your block practice as soon as you can and, get, and then get to random practice and get to competitive practice. That all sounds good, as, as Carl Myers would say. It's a good story. Yeah. But um, I think if you, if you can't complete the task you're being asked to complete in block practice about seven out of ten times, then I think, you, you know, to your satisfaction – then, then I think you should stay in. You should do a lot of block practice. Um, James Seekman, who's a great teacher over here, a great short game teacher, he he like I, he thinks every session with every player should start with some block practice until you've ticked the boxes, and yep. then you and then you move on to random and competitive and or whatever you want to call it. Have different names. So that's that's pretty much my process. Um, as to what I teach, we could have a phone call or just, you know, what are we on? We're on whatever we're on here. Uh, anchor, isn't it? Anchor. 
yeah. we we could uh, we could talk. You and I could talk for days and days and days about the process of what makes a golf ball go where it goes. But yeah. um, you know, one of the things I would say to you is that I know one of the things you wanted to ask me. If I'm jumping ahead here, please stop me. But <clears throat> one of the things you wanted to ask me was. Uh, for a hundred dollars, what would I do for a hundred dollars? Now, is that what would I do, or what would I want a student to do for a hundred dollars or a hundred quid? Both. So you can both. actually answer that for both. So, in case of if you've just turned up at Ibis and as you've walked through the door, they've literally gone, the lights work, there's grass out there, and there's a hundred dollars. Off you go. Yeah, I would. So, for a hundred dollars, what I would want a student to do between lessons is I would want them to get some resources, some, some backup resources. Now the first, to me, the first resource you have to get is a tripod to put your iPhone on. Um, even tour pros are terrible at this. I had some, I had one send me some this weekend and I tell this player for goodness sake, don't send me any video if it wasn't taken on a tripod. And what do we get? The caddy holding the camera in the wrong place and not holding it still. And this player sends me the video and says, what do you think? I said, I think you need to take it again and send it again. Because bad information is worse than no information at all. So number one would be to analyze your swing with some decent certainty. Get a tripod to put your phone on and then get an app to analyze your swing on video, whether it's whatever it is. There's so many apps now, but yeah. you know, something you can draw lines with. But so, and so that would be tripod would probably be tripod and the camera holder, maybe $50, maybe 35 quid, something like that. Yeah. You'd still have a bit of money left. So then these are some of the things you could do. You could get yourself, I would recommend, depending on what I'm working from, I might recommend a golf book that I think would support what I'm doing. One of my favorites being Plain Truth for Golfers Masterclass by, Second book. by Jim Hardy. Second book. I personally think that's his best. I think it covers everything. Not asking what you think, but I think that's his best. But that's a great book for them to be able to refer to between lessons. Um, if you wanted short game, I'd recommend perhaps something from James Seekman. Mm-hmm. If you want to now, the other thing I've done in my life is I've gone I've gone outside of golf quite a bit to understand what makes people successful in life and what makes people successful in golf. So another book that I recommend people to get if they want to be good, I always ask people how how good do you want to be. Yeah. But for some people, it's just a hobby, so I wouldn't make this recommendation. But people who want to really be good. I recommend a book called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. And it's, have you, have you read that, Doug? I have not. You should read it. It's great. It is a fantastic read. 64 Principles for Success. Nothing to do with golf, although probably 54 of them apply to golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, because golf is motivation um it's inspiration to play well i you know when i do speak at teaching summits i always say look our job is to entertain to educate and motivate that's what a teacher does you have to entertain educate and motivate and some people say well you don't need to entertain it's like yes you do 
You do need yeah. to entertain because it's a performance. You've got to mm. get people interested. I like to see people smile during the lessons. I like to bring a little bit of humor in. Did um, when you watched the great John Jacobs and Jim Hardy, did they bring a bit of light humor into oh. teaching? How uh, their, their their smiles lit up the room. Yeah, totally. But nothing lit up the room more than the students smiling either to them first or second. It didn't matter as long as people were smiling because then. They're enjoying it. There, there's exactly. a connection. There's rapport. There's there's everything you want. Yeah, exactly. So I think that would be the um, if you are a student trying to get better. Number one, get a tripod. Number two, find a resource that is in agreement with your coach and just mm -hmm. stick to that. Don't go online looking at every piece of YouTube that Tom, Dick, Harry and Uncle Harry's uh, brother called Albert has posted on YouTube. Yep. I mean, you, you you may never come out of that black hole. No. So just use one resource. Um, and then if you want to be successful, if you want to be the best you can be, find something that supports the other side of it. Find something that sort of nourishes your enthusiasm, that keeps you going when it's not going so well. Because go golf is a hard game. Mm. That's for sure. So that, that is what I would uh, suggest for $100 that um, you, you do as a student. Now, if, you, if you're a teaching professional for $100, I would find out in this day and age, in my time, I had to fly halfway around the world to go and watch Chuck Cook teach yep. or somebody of that nature. Nowadays, you can go online and you can subscribe I wouldn't go for the free stuff on YouTube. I would I would do a bit of research and find out who's someone interesting that you really, really want to follow. And probably for about $100 a year, you can get untold video content. I'll, I'll tell you someone I'm following at the moment, a chap from California called Tyler Ferrell. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very good. On the yeah. hand, and the hands and the arms. And he's done it all with 3D technology now. So if you want to know about hands and arms, Tyler Farrell is really, really, really good to watch and learn from. I've learned a lot from him. Um, so I would say to the teachers, find a site to subscribe to that you know will be good. And then when you subscribe, look at it. You know, yeah. make, make an appointment three nights a week with yourself. I'm going to watch you for half an hour, three nights a week. Because you learn a lot. I used to spend thousands traveling to see these great teachers. Out. Yeah, you can yeah, get I have, and I, I, I still do, and will continue to do. But the, I understand. Yeah, I totally get where you're where you're coming from here. This but but for a hundred dollars, you can do that. You can get insights that you wouldn't ordinarily get. So those would be my two things with a hundred dollars, Dunk, or a hundred yeah. quid. Yeah, that's brilliant. That is absolutely awesome. So, Martin, you're well traveled. Favorite golf course. Royal Birkdale, not even close. <laughs> not, not even, not even, not even close. I was there last year for the Open. You were a little kid for a week. I was. You're right. I really was. <laughs> not even close. It was, it was the first Open Championship course I've played, and it was. It's, it's fantastic. It's brilliant. Yeah. No, I do love Royal Birkdale as well. Your prediction, golfing prediction for the year. Golf will continue to be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> that is my <laughs> that is my pretty and as such adjust expectations accordingly i have a quote that i make all my students adhere to 
And I said, do you get frustrated when you play golf? Yeah, I do. I really get frustrated. And I said, well, I have a formula for frustration that I got from a sports psychologist. Frustration is expectation minus reality. That's what frustration is. So frustration comes from setting unrealistic, overly high expectations. Or as Chuck Hogan used to say, you shud all over yourself. Don't mm. shud all over yourself. The, 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 the shoulds now. So I, I, you know, my, my prediction is that golf will continue to be difficult. Um, and, and the way around that is to have expectations that are realistic. Um, I remember Jack Nicholas playing years and years and years ago. Jack Nicholas playing with his daughter-in-law, and people might take this the wrong way, but but listen to the story behind it. So they go down the first, and Jack hits one down the first about three hundred, and uh, this his daughter-in-law, probably about twenty-five, she's a good tennis player, topped it off the tee and knobbed it along the ground, and had taken about nine shots before she got to Jack's drive, and she's getting really quite cross. And Jack turned to her and said. What are you getting mad for? You're no good. Now, <laughs> the point there, people might think that's blunt, but actually it isn't. It isn't really. It's like if you don't put a lot of time in and it isn't absolutely your thing to be the best golfer you can be, then it serves no purpose to get upset when you hit poor shots. The best players in the world hit terrible shots. Yeah. I mean, if you watch Tiger at Memorial the other week, he hit some wonderful shots. His ball striking was, I think he was number one in the field in ball striking. Yep. He still hit some terrible drives. Mm. So it's going to happen. So I would say what I would like for everybody, maybe that's my thing, what I would like for everybody is to set more realistic expectations and, and realize that the golf, golf is a, going to the golf course is something that you, sh you, you would want to enjoy. Make your mind before you get there. You're going to enjoy it. Find something to enjoy about it, even if your golf game isn't good. Brilliant. Martin, question of the day. You get to ask question of the day as you are guest of the day. Okay. So my question of the day... Well, I've got two, but I'm going, I'm going to go with this one. I'm going to go with this one. Question of the day... Do you think you should be comfortable over the ball? That's my question of the day. Do I get to answer my question? <laughs> Only online. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm changing, I'm changing my question then. What's the other question then? No, well, I want to go back to that, Do you? because this isn't my question. Do you think you should be comfortable? I think you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Comfortable. No, yeah. Nowhere in the rules of golf does it say you'll be penalised for being uncomfortable. You'll get to take a shot off your score for being comfortable. I mean, the, the, the feeling that it should be comfortable and it should feel natural is a myth. I want to get that out there. When you're changing things, it will feel uncomfortable and it will feel unnatural. And if it doesn't feel unnatural and uncomfortable when you're trying to change, then you're not pushing hard enough against your old habits. Right. Now, my question of the day. Uh, what is your pattern? I would want golfers to sit down in an armchair, close their eyes, think about the last two or three rounds of golf they've played and figure out what their pattern is. Yeah, I'm not answering that question. They've got Good. to answer that question. <laughs> That's great. 
Martin, where can we find you on social media? Where can people interact with you? Um, uh, Twitter, Martin Hall GC. Twitter at Martin Hall GC. Facebook is Martin Hall GC. And Instagram is Martin Hall Golf. Fantastic. Now you've got a couple of minutes left, Martin. Uh, I know we've uh, we scooted around a bit. I know I was a subscriber to Martin Hall Golf when uh, when you were when when you were doing that, and then uh, you then moved over to the wonderful Revolution Golf. Just a couple of minutes on that for me, if you will. Yeah, well, Revolution Golf has been really fantastic, and that is that is a site that's worth checking out for good. Actually, that is a site that does not initially require subscription that you can check out. Um, and it, it is it is really full of very good uh, information. I mean, it's got great teachers. You've got Cameron McCormack, um, Andrew Rice, Martin Chuck, uh, Jim McLean, myself. A um, lot of really, really good information there. And I, I, am, I feel it's my responsibility at this point in my career to get as much rock-solid information out there as I can. So, yeah, Revolution Golf is worth having a look at, that's for sure. Brilliant. Martin, just on a personal note, thank yes. you ever, not just for coming on the podcast, but for everything you've done for me over the past 16 years that uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing you. We first met at Port St. Lucie. Um, there's a quick story about a, um, a certain training aid called the Orange Whip Trainer. Yeah, no, Donka um, was Donka was very funny. He'd just discovered this orange whip, and some of you will know what that is. And I said, well, how are you going to get that back to England? He's going to take it on the luggage. And uh, I said, well, what, what, what are you going to tell him when you get back in the country? What have you got? Orange <laughs> on a stick. It's an orange on a stick. Yeah. No, good moment. <laughs> We've had a we've had a lot of fun. We've had a lot of laughs, but more importantly for me, I've I've just learned a huge amount from you, how to conduct myself on the lesson tee and off the lesson tee. Um, so just a huge personal thanks um, from me to you, and hopefully um, I get to pass on some in some small way the messages that you have passed on to me. So thank you ever ever so much, Martin. Well, hang on, you're not going anywhere yet because I want to say to those that are listening, I've seen Duncan grow from a a young teacher with a great passion into a not so young teacher with a great depth of knowledge. And I would say Duncan is as committed to uh, being the best at his craft as he could be as anybody I've ever seen. So if you are anywhere near Duncan Walger, you should go and seek him out for a lesson. He didn't know I was going to say that, but you should. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, Martin. That's uh, that's awesome. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. I'm, I'm, I'm touched. Thank you. All right, Duncan. Well, good luck, and uh, hopefully our paths cross very soon. Yeah, I look forward to it, Martin. Love to Lisa, and I'll see you soon. All right, Duncan. Bye-bye, mate. Cheers. Bye.